Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I am Juniper Owens, co-founder and director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. And we are starting a new series of shorter episodes focused on an element or topic in the vast arena of integrative mental health. And in these episodes, we will review research, clinical experience, and offer experiential practices or techniques. And today, we will be diving into walk and talk therapy. First, let's hear Phil Gormley of Walk and Talk Therapy Ireland discuss his um, understanding around the practice. Walk and talk therapy, simply put, is it's normally therapies in the office. It's me and you one to one, but this is different. This is the office. The park is the office. This is where me and you can work. Walk and talk works in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is that by being out in nature, the environment is such a beautiful environment that has an automatic effect on us. Also with the exercise part of it, we're taking more oxygen into our body. Our serotonin levels are automatically increased just by being out in the nature, just by having the walk. That's a huge part of it. It's very helpful. But of course, I'm changed a little bit because my physiology, my body has changed, but also so is yours. So the therapy will be working with you in a different way because of those changes that are happening with you. In my experience, walk and talk therapy works because we're so busy in our world, our family, our work, our money, different things. We come out in the nature and something changes. Something changes within us. And even though our story may be difficult, even though we may have pain, there's a positivity out here. There's a positivity that allows us to get in touch with that deeper side. And that's brilliant. To me, that's, it's so important. As many mental health professionals can attest to, sitting in an office all day can be mentally and physically draining. Telehealth just adds to the toll as you are attentively staring at a screen for hours on end and providing therapy services. Many years ago in my clinical social work career, I started wondering about the impact of sitting and being indoors for long periods of time, especially when providing and receiving therapeutic services. I have many theories of why I was feeling so drained and uncomfortable after being in the office for long periods and why walk and talk therapy seemed to improve my mood, ability to hold space for my clients, and remain mindfully attuned, focused, and regulated. The same theories might apply to my clients who decided to try walk and talk therapy. They seem to have improved mood that was sustained long after the session. They reported feeling more comfortable, more themselves, and I noticed many, many more breakthroughs and powerful releases. 
So today we will be diving into the subject of walk and talk therapy. We will discuss the current research and evidence, uh, my clinical experience, as well as other professionals, clinical considerations, ethical implications, and some tips if you're thinking about how to incorporate some kind of walk and talk therapy in your work. We will also discuss how intentional walking can be helpful as an adjunct to therapy, and we will close the conversation with a practice that you can try right away. So when I first started researching the potential benefits of walk and talk therapy, I started with the stats. How much time are people sitting and spending time indoors? And what are the implications? It might not come as a surprise that most modern humans, living in urban areas especially, spend the majority of their time indoors. And most of these people of all ages are sitting indoors during the day and night. Americans sit almost 10 hours a day on average, and research has been looking at just what the consequences are of that. In one 2018 study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, looking at around 8,000 adults, showed an association between prolonged sitting and a risk of early death from any cause. And people in that study who sat for no more than 30 minutes at a time had the lowest risk. Other research has linked prolonged sitting or other sedentary behavior to diabetes, poor heart health, weight gain, depression, dementia, and multiple cancers. And I personally have noticed issues with weight gain, lethargy, fatigue, and increasingly sore hips and abdominal muscles, um, and generally just being less embodied in session. Beyond the physical health implications, there are mental health implications for sitting for prolonged periods. In the following clip, Dr. James Levine, professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic, discusses just that. But also it is the mental issues. And what is clear when you start to think about the health burden of sitting is it isn't just the physical body, it is the mind as well. Because just as the body is designed to be moving, the brain is designed to control it whilst moving. And so it isn't a surprise that excess sitting is also associated with a predisposition to depression, to low mood, and to a general malaise that you can feel in any cubicle-based office you happen to visit. And also I think we like to think of our patients in a very holistic, in in an all-encompassing way. I think there's a spiritual issue too. People who are sitting for too long are sedentary, are sedentary, not only in their bodies and in their minds, but in their philosophy. So all of us want to do good things in the world, but if you're sitting, you can't do it. And so there's a stultification that occurs, I would say right at the heart of our souls, when you sit for too long. Dr. Levine goes on in this talk to discuss the evolutionary process of how humans have been, as what he calls, doomed to the chair sentence. And it started during the Industrial Revolution. Being sedentary isn't necessarily due to an individual character flaw or a lack of will. However, in my view, it's a product of environmental factors that support and even force sitting for long periods of time, like in schools, offices, and transportation forms. 
And it's not just the sitting that is potentially causing harm to health and well-being, but also the length of time we spend inside buildings and vehicles, indoors, away or disconnected from nature. Americans on average spend approximately 90% of their time indoors, 90%. Researchers have pointed to a decreased immune functioning due to lack of vitamin D and also the correlation with excessive time indoors and depression and anxiety has been widely researched. Lack of sunlight can affect our circadian rhythms, which can then disturb sleep patterns. And we know that sleep disturbances can contribute to most every mental health issue, but especially depression and anxiety. Being indoors affects your brain. The human brain evolved over thousands of years when humans lived in direct contact with nature. Here is a clip from UNC Health with Dr. Nate Soa discussing how the brain changes when being spending time outdoors. Physical benefits to walking and hiking are fairly obvious to people, but most people don't recognize that there's mental health benefits. Walking just in itself has shown to reduce levels of anxiety and depression and actually can be preventative in some cases of of depression. But uh, there's even more evidence now that doing it in nature, in natural surroundings, improves that those results even further. Something about being in nature is calming to, to humans. We seek environments that seem calming and protective to us. And so people they've actually started to show that people's brains work differently when they're in nature compared to when they're in an, an urban setting. Um, so it's thought that being in a natural setting can, can change the way that we think and that it affects our emotions and it reduces our anxiety levels and our stress levels. When you're in nature, there's a thought that different parts of your brain are are activating, the parts that are related to being on edge or being calmed down, and so that leads to physical changes too. So reductions in your blood pressure, reductions in your heart rate, and again, it's calming those areas of your brain that are related to stress and anxiety. So hearing about all of these kind of facts and um, statistics and the many potential detriments to our physical mental health, sitting excessively and spending most of our time indoors can do, it might sound pretty dim kind of, right? Well, there are many factors that contribute to the health and well-being of humans. There are environmental factors, including poverty, pollution, and climate change, which of course can make going outside increasingly difficult and even dangerous in some cases. Um, There's community violence, racism and white supremacy, trauma, and ancestral or genetic influences. So with all of this in mind, excessive sitting and time indoors can be harmful to your physical and mental health since humans evolved outdoors, but also other factors can affect your mind and body equally, if not more. So with that being said, the therapeutic implications of getting out of the office and walking side by side are also compelling. So it's not a magic pill or some kind of, um, quote, treatment that will fix everything, but it can be a really supportive adjunct and helpful tool for your clients. 
I've noticed that triggers often do not appear in an office session as it is usually a safe kind of controlled environment, like a vacuum almost. And it can be difficult to actually experience the uncomfortable sensations or to practice some of the skills or techniques that we might be learning. So sometimes I will suggest out-of-office sessions when a client is feeling well-resourced and is ready to experience an edge of their window of tolerance. Now here is a clip from a therapist who discusses their experience with utilizing walk-and-talk therapy in their practice. This is Amy Halverson, and I'm an LCSW therapist. I greatly enjoy using walking sessions with many of my clients. I find that it is quite astounding when there's a shift, a simple shift in position from being face-to-face to instead moving together side by side. And that for the client, it can be a lot less intimidating, a lot more comfortable. And the nervous system responds to that. When the client is able to feel less intimidated, nervous system is able to be more calm. Therefore, a client can find that they're able to, instead of being primarily up in their thoughts, up in their head during a session, they can shift and be more present in their bodies and have quite a different experience in session. And a lot of clients notice this and tell me that they can feel the difference with the experience in their bodies. So as Amy points out, there is a difference of positionality when walking side by side rather than sitting and both clinician and clients notice this. When I first started doing walk and talk therapy, uh, I was working in the school system as a clinical social worker and I noticed something very similar. I found that when kids got outside, they instantly relaxed and were able to share and process more in their sessions. And I think being outside of their school or home where they have less control and privacy really made a difference. I noticed their energy levels increased and teachers reported less behavioral issues and increased focus in the classroom. And when I was working mostly with adults in a private practice setting, uh, about six years ago, I started offering walk and talk sessions near my office. And most clients reported feeling more comfortable with me, and it really improved the therapeutic relationship since I was walking with them side by side rather than staring at them in a therapy office. I had a few clients discuss the inherent power dynamics of the therapist and client relationship, and they feel less pronounced when outside of the office. Uh, In addition, I had other clients report that they just felt better having some movement in their day, which improves their self-confidence and efficacy, and it felt good to check something off their to-do list. Often people are really busy and feel that they do not have time to go outside or walk. So to be able to combine that with the therapy session that's so important to them uh, feels really good. Now, I have had some clients that really actually prefer to be in office for many reasons. Like I had one who mentioned that they really had trouble focusing due to all of the city sights and sounds and that they prefer to take notes, which is actually difficult to do while walking. (laughs) So, um, 
you know, walk and talk therapy is not beneficial for every client. And that's why it is important to have consent and shared goals. It is important to use your clinical skills and wisdom to evaluate if a client is a good candidate for walk and talk therapy. There are many considerations and we won't get into all of them today, but a few that I typically will not recommend for walk and talk therapy are those whose safety could be threatened if they are seen outside of the office, like one who is in an abusive relationship, for example. Um, I also don't do usually do walk and talk sessions with newer clients who I don't know much about yet, or those with significant emotional regulation difficulty until those clients are a little more resourced and until I get to know them better. Um, I also don't typically do crisis sessions outdoors. Um, So really it's about using your judgment. You have the skills and knowledge to get a sense about what is right for you and your clients. Most importantly, it is the client's choice. So again, having consent would be the most important clinical consideration that I would want to stress today. So if walk and talk therapy is something that you wouldn't like to, would like to incorporate into your practice, uh, there are a few things to consider. One of the most common concerns I hear from other mental health providers is the privacy and confidentiality issue with being outside of the office. So when you leave the relative safety of the closed office door, the chances of seeing someone you know or your client knows increases. You have less control over the privacy of your session. So before you take a client outside the office, It is important to discuss with your clients or if you're working with kiddos with their guardians, if appropriate, um, these possible scenarios. I usually say something like there's a possibility we might see someone we know and it's up to you and your comfort level of how we handle this. So at times I might role play a scenario if a client is feeling anxious about it, but usually um, there really isn't many concerns in this area. Uh, I've occasionally run into someone I know while walking with a client, and while it is not in my nature to be short with people, I typically just say hi and keep walking. And if they try to continue conversation, I just say I'm busy and can't talk. It's really that simple. The other considerations could include the possibility of you or your client being injured. The best way to cover ethical and safety issues that could arise is to require a signature on a release of liability form for out-of-the-office sessions. Uh, We offer a release of liability that has been approved by our lawyers along with a worksheet to use in session to discuss and make a plan for walk-and-talk sessions with your clients. Uh, We have that on our online academy, and I'll let you know where to access that at the end of the podcast, and maybe even offer a special discount for our podcast listeners, because we love you. Okay, back to the conversation. The last thing I have heard from the new therapist I supervise or those I train in integrative mental health practices is how being outdoors affects your mind and body, including regulation, focus, and professionalism. So for example, I noticed that I tend to stay way more focused and intentional when I'm working with clients outside of the office. I also have noticed that I'm more casual outside of the office. 
I mostly notice it with the way I talk and how I behave. So I might kind of impulsively say something or just be a little bit more casual, like when I'm outside of the office. So I have spent quite a bit of time uh, consulting with peers on how to address any potential issues that I personally bring to outdoor sessions. Sometimes when walk and talk therapy isn't clinically appropriate or of interest to a client, or if the weather doesn't allow, I often recommend what I call intentional or therapeutic walking to clients. It's essentially similar to walk and talk, which is thinking or pro- processing an issue or topic while walking. Um, I actually got the idea after I was first trained in EMDR. I learned about how the founder of the modality, Francine Shapiro, discovered it while walking in Central Park. She was experiencing emotional distress, uh, thinking about a memory, and while walking and looking back and forth, left to right, uh, at the trees, noticed a decrease in the emotional intensity she was experiencing. While the research in EMDR focuses on the eye movements, which is like a whole other episode on its own, many current day practitioners of EMDR focus on bilateral stimulation. And this led me to wonder if simply walking while thinking about specific memories, issues, or thoughts could have a similar effect. While I haven't been able to dredge up much research on it, I've tested it out personally, and many of my clients have tried the same approach with very interesting results. So I do some of my best thinking while I am walking or running. I can access more creativity, new solutions present themselves. Like if I'm thinking about a tough conversation I have coming up, I can think of like really cool ways to solve that problem. Um, I think of things I just haven't previously considered. And I can also think about distressing events with more ease. Uh, I also notice that I can cry easier, which is uh, can be very therapeutic for me. And I really struggle to do that while I'm sitting indoors. So the practice I recommend is to intentionally think about a topic, often that we're addressing in therapy, and you start with that in mind. Like... I am so stupid and worthless, I will never find love. You might start your walk by repeating the phrase either silently or out loud, and then walk for about five to 10 minutes or however long you want, paying attention to what you are noticing. What thoughts are drifting in your mind? How does your body feel? After the walk, jot down some of your observations. So that is the intentional walking practice that I specifically recommend as a supplement to the work that we're doing in therapy. Uh, Another walking practice I recommend outside of session is a walking sensory experience. The invitation is to choose a sense to focus on, like sense of hearing or touch, and spend about five to 10 minutes or more walk focusing mostly on this sense. To help stay focused, I often recommend for clients to bring tools with them to help record what they're noticing. So if you're focusing on your sense of sight, you can bring a camera to snap photos of what you see. Uh, You can also create a sensory scavenger hunt and write down a list of four textures, for example, to find and describe what you notice when you feel them. 
So that practice can be really interesting and fun for clients and also uh, really supports maybe a mindfulness practice or a practice of being more alive and embodied in your, in your body. Uh, by the way, if walking is difficult or impossible for you or a client uh, due to chronic pain, injury, or a different ability, then a similar practice can be to place yourself outside or even looking out a window while starting with the topic or issue or just during the, during the therapy session. Sometimes I might recommend any movement that is tolerable, such as swaying back and forth or tapping the arms or legs, or even just following movement outdoors, like watching the wind move plants or a squirrel running past. So these are just a few examples of walking practices that you can recommend. But during a walk and talk therapy session, you will just utilize your preferred modalities. Uh, in walk and talk therapy, the way you typically conduct a session is pretty much the same. You're just walking instead of sitting in an office. So we really won't get into how to conduct a therapy, a walk and talk therapy session because you're the professional and, and you know how to do that. So that wraps up our podcast today, focusing on walk and talk therapy. We could keep talking about the subject for much longer, but we really want to keep these episodes relatively concise. Uh, we would, however, love to hear from you. What has been your experience with walk and talk sessions? What are your thoughts or concerns about this style of practice? Uh, there are many ways that you can keep this conversation going with us and uh, really support this beautiful collective community of integrative practitioners. Uh, and we'll list all of those ways to uh, keep the conversation going in our show notes. Um, but you can definitely shoot us an email. We love when our listeners record voice messages that we can sometimes play on podcasts. Uh, it's really neat to hear the voices. It's just a little more embodied and personal than an than email, but they're both great. So uh, we would really love to hear from you. So, And also, whether you're brand new to walk and talk therapy or you've been practicing for years, if, if you're interested in new resources, we do have a walk and talk therapy bundle available on our online academy. The bundle includes a worksheet and handout that you can provide to your clients and use when preparing for a walk and talk session. Uh, we also provide a release of liability form that you can customize with your own name or practice information. I do want to say, though, that it is vital that you check with your state and board regulations regarding walk and talk sessions. Uh, we cannot be held responsible for that. Oh, yeah. Before I forget, I told you that I'd offer a special something for our podcast listeners. So if you're a podcast listener and you purchase the walk and talk therapy bundle, which is only $15 and it has those high quality PDFs that you can download and use forever as many times as you want with your clients, uh, then you will be eligible for 15% off of another course of your choosing or of a live training experience that we have coming up in 2022. So if you're a podcast listener, just shoot us an email if you've purchased the Walk and Talk Therapy Bundle and let us know that you're a listener and we will send you the code for 15% off any course or live training in the future just because you're that awesome. And we really appreciate the support because this is a labor of love. It takes 
a lot of time, especially for myself, who is not gifted in the art of audio recording and editing. I just really am doing this because I am so passionate about integrative mental health and supporting the collective of practitioners in this field and just expanding outside of the traditional boxed mental health services. It's just so important to me that I'm willing to do the podcast thing if it means that we will be able to engage and connect. So uh, from my heart to yours, thank you so much.